Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And before we get into anything, we have some special news. Yay. Well, technically, I think you found out last episode, but hey, we're a finalist for the People's Choice category in the 2019 Discover Pods Awards. (laughs) But the people are listening, so that means it was their choice. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) This is all because of you, our listeners, for nominating us. So, this is the final round of voting and finalists and all that stuff. So, if you could vote for us one last time, we would be eternally grateful. You can head to awards.discoverpods.com slash finalists to vote for us. Yay! Final voting takes place from November 5th to November 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Back to our regularly scheduled program. Today, we're doing a deep dive into a fantastic film that came out this year, Us. Us? Like you and me? Yep. No, it's about America. Oh, we're not American. Us us are Canadian. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we're, we're dipping our toes uh, outside the little border there, eh? But first, <laughs> we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we created this duo of doppelganger cocktails that seem the same on the outside, but are very different on the inside. Dun, dun. So before we actually drink this one, don't touch your glass just quite yet. Oh, no. Because I feel like for it to make sense, I need to explain a little bit about the movie's plot. Okay. So if you, for some reason, listen to this podcast and then stop after we talk about the drinks because you don't want spoilers, then hang up now, I guess? I don't know. Bye. So in <laughs> in the movie, there's a copy of everybody on Earth, and one of the copies is trying to kill the people who have been on Earth for so long, and then it's revealed at the very end that the people who are killing everyone live underground, and they have really shitty lives, and they're like soul connectors, basically. But since one of the versions got to live like a cushy soft, warm life, and the other ones had to live cold and underground and eat rabbits. I made two drinks to With represent- rabbits? Fake faux rabbit. Phew. Vegan rabbits. <laughs> um, I made each drink represent the different characters. So ah. one of the drinks is very sweet and nice, and the other one is spicy and slightly less nice. Oh. Um, and I didn't tell you or me, I know which one we have, but- I didn't let you know which one is which, and then I let you pick. So you don't know if you have the spicy one or the That's sweet one. That's why you did that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of know because I knew you were doing that, but <laughs> I did not know which one I got. Yeah, because it's like a 50-50 split if you get the, the nice cushy life or the shitty cold life. And and what are these called, my love? Uh, they are called Adelaide and Red. <gasps> Because that's the main character and her shadow. Nice. Mm-hmm. So red is the like spicy one, and Adelaide is the sweet one. Which is actually kind of interesting because Adelaide is the one that does a lot of killing in this film. Yeah, but it's to defend her children. Yes. And also because she used to live underground. Twist! Oh my god. We'll get there when we get there. Can I take a sip? Yeah. Oh, it's also a uh, Coke-based drink, so it's kind of like a highball, basically. So, but one's sweet and one's spicy. You didn't react, so I'd think that it, maybe I got red. Well, I definitely took some nice sips there. That was good. Smooth <laughs> drinking. Oh, no. I'm definitely in Adelaide. Oh, no, I'm the shadow. Woohoo! Okay, I'm going to try this one. I didn't actually... This is like my second version of it, so I haven't tried what this one tastes like yet, so I'm interested to see what, what it tastes like. It's also funny because I know that 
he doesn't you don't like the uh the spicy the, vodka well not that you don't like it but it's tough you didn't make too much of a face though huh for you to drink yeah it actually is like it is definitely spicy uh i like breathed almost breathed it in and i felt a little bit of tingle in my nose <laughs> but um yeah i think that so far this might be the most like drinkable i've made this vodka yet nice it's, uh it like i don't know maybe the coke fights back and it's oh oh there it is it's the afterburn. Yeah, I can feel my mouth getting coated now. <laughs> but uh, it's not terrible. It is definitely spicy. Um, and a little bit uh, of other stuff that I put in the drink. That mine you'll is, have. Yeah, mine's very, very smooth. There's something additional to the vodka. So the vodka is like the base. You got like the normal vodka and I got the spicy vodka. Right. But there's a secret extra ingredient in there <gasps> for each of us that people will have to be a patron to know what we put in it. Ooh. Oh. Except during the sponsor copy, you're probably going to say which ones we used. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so you either have to be a patron or continue listening to the episode. <laughs> I mean, I can still keep a secret in which one is in which one. They don't know. I mean, it would kind of make sense. Which, oh, boy. I breathed in. I breathed in deep. <laughs> I got the... I got red down in my lungs now. Do you find that the chili vodka gives you heartburn? Everything gives me heartburn right. now. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Is it a, a specific trigger, you think? I don't know. We'll have to see eventually if uh, I get heartburn. I've been like drinking normal just like vodka and soda or something like that. And I find that if I drink too much of it, it gives me a really bad heartburn hmm. um, or a really bad headache. I think my body just doesn't like alcohol anymore. Maybe I should stop doing this podcast. No! Or only drink beer. Well, we could also, I was thinking we probably should do at least one episode where it's a mocktail. Mm. We gotta be inclusive for our friends and family that wanna have wanna have the sweet, sweet, fancy drinks, but without the bzzz. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll do one for April Fool's. Anyways, that's my drink, but do you like it? It's good. Yeah, I like it. I'm a bit disappointed that I didn't get the spicy one, to be honest. Well, that's the point of the movie. <laughs> Being disappointed that you didn't get to live the warm, cushy life. God damn it. Or live down below. Yours doesn't make sense. I'm fine with my choice. <laughs> so this week we watched Us, which premiered on March 22nd, 2019. It's directed by Jordan Peele, who is the writer and director slash creator of the fabulous Get Out. Get Out? Really? Yeah, for real. <laughs> you just laughed at your own joke. I did. Like, it was immediately. A good it was a good one. <laughs> um, which we aren't doing in season one, but we're definitely going to have Get Out in season two. So stay with us. Synopsis, which I totally ripped off from, not IMDb this time, but Wikipedia. Ooh. Accompanied by her husband, son, and daughter, Adelaide Wilson returns to the beachfront home where she grew up as a child. Haunted by a traumatic experience from the past, Adelaide grows increasingly concerned that something bad is going to happen. Her worst fears soon become a reality when four masked strangers descend upon the house, forcing the Wilsons into a fight for survival. When the masks come off, the family is horrified to learn that each attacker takes the appearance of one of them. That's a horrible description. That's not what happens. What? The family doesn't wear masks. Only the son wears That's a mask. That's true, actually. And then they never take the masks off. They just come out of the shadows. Damn it. Damn it, Wikipedia. You fucked us again. Maybe I shouldn't read no, that no, one. No, no. I like this. I like this. Well, because I was thinking of Jason and his 
doppelganger yeah. who does have a mask and takes it the off. The one of them has a mask. No, I'm, I'm going to keep this bit. I like that Wikipedia was entirely I like, wrong. I like how we just watched this and I like had thought of all my points and then I put that synopsis on and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That that's, that's what it yeah, was. Whatever. No, it's fine. Well, they were in shadows for a while. They don't know. I guess what it is is they don't know that they look like them until they get in their house. It's the metaphorical masks. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Whoa. Which is the cover of the film too is the masks. Yeah. But not really a mask. <laughs> it's her face. All right. So hit fine. me with that trailer audio. You know how sometimes things line up? Coincidences? Since we've been up here, they've been happening more. Run. What are you people? It's us. Rated R, really? Well, yeah, there's like murder and stuff. I guess. And Tim Heidecker's in it. I don't think Tim Heidecker can be in anything that's not rated R. <laughs> Uh, they said us two times during that trailer. Whoa. Whoa. To represent the two of us. Whoa. Whoa. Um, that's, a, that's actually a really good trailer, I think. It doesn't give away too much, I, I, as far as I would believe. Yes. I hunted down for a trailer that, because usually we want one of the teasers or something, which they didn't have a teaser for this movie, but this trailer that you heard is the Super, Super Bowl? Bowl. Yeah. Super Bowl trailer, which is cool. And it was pretty short. I mean, if you're on the Super Bowl trailers, you have to be pretty short. Yeah, it's like a minute. Yeah, and that's probably like $11 million for one minute of trailer. Yeah. Very crazy. But honestly, though, like, I hate football. I don't watch football, but I, well, I used to date someone that liked to watch uh, the Super Bowl, and that was the best part, was the- The commercials? (laughs) The commercials, because they put lots of effort, like, I'd- Companies put effort. For yeah, the Super why would Bowl. you? Because why would you spend eleven million dollars for a bad ad? Yeah, but yeah, I really like this trailer. I'm a little bummed that it doesn't include more of the music. It has a little bit of the undertone of the itsy bitsy spider that she whistles. Yes, um, when she gets taken by Red or Adelaide. Which one? Adelaide's Adelaide. the one that started in the basement and then came up, right? Yes, because she assumes the name of Adelaide, and then yes. Red claims the name of Red. Yes. Um, but yeah, they they didn't include any of the like amazing soundtrack that's in this movie which you're gonna have to just pepper in throughout the entire episode like yes. right now dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh that was so good dun, dun. <laughs> love that music <laughs> but seriously the music is really really cool and actually that song that you're talking about it's not in my fun facts Oh, spoiler, I'm doing the scaredy facts this time. Something that I found out while doing my research was that that cool fight scene of Red and Adelaide in the basement originally didn't have that music in it. Oh, really? It actually had... Are you ready for this? No. The Nutcracker. (laughs) Part of the Nutcracker suite (laughs) was there instead. Because they wanted it to be like... Because she's a ballerina. Yeah. And the you know that the tethered underneath had to practice the dancing as well while she was learning up on the good side of life. But uh, so, yeah, it's like classic ballet music. A very, very famous ballet is the Nutcracker every Christmas. But they decided that it sounded a bit pretentious and that it didn't really fit the theme. So then what they did was they took that song, which is a like remixed version, dark version of the I Got Five on it. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't even notice that. 
So wait, was it supposed to be the like dun 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 dun? I don't know which song it was, but it's one of yeah, it's like one of those. One of the one of the classic nutcrackers that everyone would be able to recognize. Yeah. I think that's good because it definitely keeps the theme of like, I don't know, there's like a very not jitteriness to the soundtrack, I would say, but like a very like simple aspect to the soundtrack. Yeah. Except for when they're listening to like actual music that wasn't composed for the movie where it's like just real music that they're listening to. Which like, they like incorporate. Fuck the police. Yeah. That was such a good moment when they incorporate that. That was great. I, I think when, did we watch this in theaters? I can't remember. Oh no. We, I think we watched we it on watched like a bus home. or a plane. Oh, I, I thought we watched it here. Pretty sure we watched it on a bus. I had it on my laptop. <gasps> oh. But uh, yeah, the moment that that song came on, I think I like openly laughed because it was awesome. <laughs> but uh, and then there was another one that Tim Heidecker plays with his Google, not Google Home. But yeah, I just... The Beach Boys. Was it the Beach Boys? Yeah. Right. Because they're at the beach. Ha. Ha. But yeah, music in this film is very, very good. Yes. Are you ready for my thoughts? I think I am ready for us thoughts. Are, are you feeling emotionally prepared? I'm trying to feel if I have heartburn yet. Ah. <laughs> but yes, I am emotionally prepared. Great. So my first thought is that twist, which I guess we kind of already said. But um, so Adelaide is not an original top liner. She top is, liner? She's, a, <laughs> she's really one of the others. Yeah. Which is crazy. The shadows. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could imitate how. That's so it's so hard to do that voice. Yeah. From the shadows. This is pretty good. Thanks. That I just had good. to choke myself a lot. Yeah. Well, that's why <laughs> she gets that voice because she fucking got choked out. Something that I liked about rewatching it now for the podcast again was seeing the film for a second time. You get to see all the like hints. Mm-hmm. So there's like so much foreshadowing of that big twist. Yeah. Some of the, like the biggest ones I notice in the, are mostly in the like early, early on, like when their family's all sitting down and eating like, I don't know what restaurant it's from. KFC, but it's, like, I think. Fast food. I think it was KFC because and... I kind of wanted some KFC watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's just sitting there eating some strawberries. Yeah. And I was like, that's weird. Why is she doing that? And then you turned to me and you're like, do you really not know? And I was like, oh, yeah. Right. And then she also like avoids drinking alcohol ever, which all of these things, all of these things. All, are weird all these things. Um, I took it as her being like so soft and like nervous because of what happened to her as a child. Mm. But then, well, I guess it still could be that because she actually lived a, tra- a t- horrible life and I rabbits yeah i figured it was because adelaide the one from the underground yeah uh she's probably a vegetarian now since she grew up eating rabbits and she doesn't want to eat meat anymore and then as for like the alcohol versus water thing i thought that maybe like she didn't want to get drunk and like expose herself basically Mm. or like revert to her like natural instincts of being a shadow so maybe she like likes to keep a clear mind so she can retain this like facade that she's created for herself nice that makes sense other than that i think like most of the stuff is like yeah she's very like passive because it seems like she's trying to take a back seat and let other people do stuff yeah until her life is at stake yeah which actually is a good segue into my next point because i don't really love adelaide and gabe's relationship oh no i kept bringing it up while we were watching because 
everything that he says to her is like a passive aggressive way of getting her to do what he wants. Yeah. And like he wasn't being cruel or oh like he's being manipulating, but he's not I don't know, it's he's, like he's kind of like your stere- they're like your stereotypical heterosexual relationship where it's like they're together, but they don't actually really seem to like each other all that much. Yeah. And then his like attitude is very like, "Hey babe, like I got a boat and we're going to go and blah blah blah. Why can't we go to the beach?" Oh man, you're always doing this stuff, but like still protects her, I guess. Yeah. Like when the chips are down, he's like, "No, don't call the cops." I can get rid of these people. And then he thing. goes out. That was such a good moment because then he goes out to try and deal with them and he's like, oh, I'm scared. Comes back in. Oh, you should call the cops. She's like, I already did. Yeah. Like, you're welcome. People are trying to kill us. Of course I called the cops. I also like that when he goes out the first time, he's kind of like polite and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, you guys can get off get off our property and stuff like that. Like, have a good night or whatever. And then he comes back and he's like, are we going to have a problem? Am I going to have to bust some skulls or something with this baseball bat that I came out? And I'm like, that's a... Such a good like attitude switch yeah. where it's like, oh, I couldn't get them off with politeness. I'm going to go threaten them with this baseball bat. And then he goes, the cops are already on day way. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Because you see him through the movie and he's not like he's he's kind of a dork and he's like dad yeah. jokes. It's like he's trying to layer on like, no, it's I'm, I'm actually a, guy. I'm a big, scary dude. I'm going to th- I'm going to lay it on thick now. Yeah, it's pretty good. Which that reminds me, I only had three points for this, but now I have another one because Ooh. that scene is so great because it really reminded me of my own life. Oh, so they go to this beachfront cabin to spend some nice summer vacation. And I myself have a cottage mm. that is not on a beach, but near a beach. And we ha- also have a baseball bat in our cottage. <laughs> That's called the peacemaker. <laughs> it literally has that written in thick sharpie on it. Has you, have you ever needed to, to use it? I have not. I don't think my dad ever has. Um, if so, it was probably like rambunctious teens or whatever. You've never had like copies of yourself wander out of the woods and try to threaten you? Not yet. Okay. But someday. Yeah, there's still time. Um, going back to their relationship, it's interesting because it al- it almost also mirrors Red and her family's relationship, where like the dad, the above ground dad, is like the all commanding leader who gets everyone to do whatever he wants, and then Red commands her family, right, by like slight hand movements and stuff like that. It's interesting. That's true with her like clap claps. And yeah, stuff. and like everyone everyone listens to Red and everything that she wants to do. And nobody listens to Adelaide and anything that she wants to do. Also, like, everybody goes to, like, all the kids go to Adelaide for protection and stuff, like, to hog on to her and stuff like that. But, like, Red's family's more, like, pets a little bit. Yes. And you also notice the dad, uh, Gabe, in the, in the scene where he's, like, eventually going to confront them outside. He tells Jason, his son, to go get the bat. And Jason's like terrified. And then his daughter has to run and get the yeah. bat for him instead. There's a lot of like men needing to be the big, big guns in these uh, situations. But then the women really come up like. Yeah. Also, in when you see the other family, I forget their names, but the white. The, like, the Heideckers. Wine family. <laughs> it's the woman, the, the mom of the family that hears a noise outside. Oh, yeah. But then like she assumes the role of like, you have to go out and look because I don't want to look. And like take care of me. And the dad's like, oh, I just want to drink this whiskey. Mm -hmm. And then they both go look out together. And then 
They both die. Yeah. Or they all die. It's a that was a really cool moment because mm-hmm. that's the reveal of their other people, not yeah. just those four. Because you assume since it was Adelaide that had the experience when she was a little girl that it is somehow directly connected to her. Yeah. But it turns out that it's everybody, which is mind blowing. It's all of the hands across America. Which is a very cool, like, imagery to use. Do you talk about, like, the connection between Hands Across America and the movie and your facts at all? I do not. Oh, because I remember when we first watched this, I looked it up, and it's basically like, Hands Across America didn't do anything. It was like this huge American thing that everyone was going to do, and it was going to solve all these problems and bring everybody together, and it was going to, like unify america but at the end of the day it was just like a publicity stunt that actually didn't have much results and like did they go all the way across america i I don't know but the fact that like that's the last thing red remembers is like oh yeah the hands across america was a huge big deal so that's gonna be the like imagery for our cause yeah is like really interesting because like at that time as an american that would have been the thing that you would have been like thinking about was man i can't wait until hands across america it's gonna change everything and then yeah literally nothing changes so she, her, sorry i was gonna say so like her popping up making everyone do hands across america I didn't, like nobody acknowledges that that's what they're doing but it's because like no one gave a fuck about hands across america at the end of, end of the day and so, like, the imagery is just like, man, these scary people in red connecting their hands together, making a line. What could it be? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. last thing that I want to talk about is the change that happens for the Hall of Mirrors. Oh, yeah. So in the opening scene, we see young red, technically, go into the Hall of Mirrors after she's been, like, at the carnival with her dad and her mom. And... um she goes into the Shaman Vision Quest Forest, <laughs> which is like awful cultural appropriation, all about indigenous, indigenous people. people. Yeah. yeah. And then we see later on that they changed it when they go back to Santa Cruz, and now it's Merlin's Forest. <laughs> but then it doesn't actually change the inside of the attraction. No, not at all. They literally just change. I mean, so on the one hand, you have goodness because they don't use cultural appropriation anymore, this like fake carnival. But then on the other hand, it's just a complete nod to how we have just come and colonized over this land. We just slap something else on the front <laughs> and like take it whatever we want anyways. Which I thought was funny. And then not actually change anything. Yeah. yeah. And like, ugh. It's like the laziest way to try and be good people now, which I feel is super accurate to how 2019 is going so far. It's also interesting because that is also a metaphor for Red and Adelaide switch. Like she changed the surface, but she's still a shadow underneath. Like a lot of the times when she gets really aggressive in the movie, she's like, grunting and screaming like the shadows are yeah it's like no matter how much she could change the facade of her character at the end of the day she's still a shadow at heart yeah um and i was like doing some research on this topic because i thought it was really interesting and it really drew me in drew me in drawed you in yeah um and i found this article called the native imagery of jordan peele's us explained by emmy scott which is available on Vulture.com. And I thought that she did a lot of uh, good good writings and good explanations, so I wanted to read a part of it instead of uh, using my own words. So she's talking about uh, the Hall of Mirrors scene when Adelaide and Red first meet, and she says, Right away, I understood this scene, one of the first in Jordan Peele's new horror movie, Us, to be a sly nod to the many ways Native culture is misconstrued in mainstream culture. So many non-Native people who seize aspects of our spirituality often do so in 
and an effort to find themselves because there's like a sign in uh, right as you enter the Hall of Mirrors that's like, find yourself. Oh. Hollywood in particular has a knack for distilling native spiritual practices down to the on-screen equivalent of a Sephora smudge kit with white sage. In a movie explicitly based on the writer-director's fear of American society, the decision to have the young girl descend into this particular funhouse felt extremely intentional. And then a bit later in the article, she writes, I noticed the whistling at night, which for the Ho-Chunks and other tribes is ill-advised. Parents and grandparents say that whistling after dark will call bad spirits. And yep, sure enough, as soon as Adelaide whistles, she hears a whistle in return, coming from somewhere within this hall of mirrors. Suddenly, she sees the back of her tethered twin, a double that looks just like her. Twins are powerful figures in the stories of many native tribes. The Ho-Chunks have hero twins that fight monsters. The concept of duality is even represented in our ribbon work designs that are mirror image florals of contrasting colors. They represent a world seeking balance between light and dark, a struggle in us as well. I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, it's really cool to hear that side of things because for me, like the find yourself was just like a cheeky nod at the fact that she's going to walk in and find herself. Literally find herself, yeah. And then um, like the whistling, I, I noticed that like Adelaide, the one from the shadows, doesn't actually have rhythm. Like when she's trying to teach her son how to snap to I got five on it, she's actually yeah. out of beat. And it's kind of... It, it's like, I always interpreted that as like a thing that's like, oh yeah, there's something wrong with her. And like, they don't have, actually have rhythm and don't have all this other stuff that, because they're shadows. But it's cool that like, I would interpretate it, interpretate it that way, but his intention was also to include like a lot of references to stuff that like, I didn't have an association with. Yeah. Which is always good for real representation in movie. It's like, as as a, a white person, I'm not going to get a lot of this shit, but yeah. I can still enjoy the movie. And it's not like those references and stuff aren't for me. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it was very cool. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I found it. She talks a lot more. So you should, uh, you should read, read that, that article. Yeah. I immediately after watching this movie, I just wanted to like consume as much of the like intent behind the movie as possible. But there's mm. just so much of it that it's so hard to get it all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sounds like a good read. We're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials. To start us off, we want to remind you that we're finalists for the People's Choice category and the 2019 Discover Pods Awards. When this podcast goes live, you only have two days left to vote for us. So please, it's all because of you, our listeners, for nominating us in the first place. If you could vote for us in the final voting, we would be eternally grateful. <laughs> Head to awards.discoverpods.com slash finalists to vote for us. Final round of voting takes place from November 5th to November 18th at 6 p.m. ET. That's Eastern, not extraterrestrial. Uh, we're in the People's Choice category, which is at the very bottom of the page. So you can vote for other people. Just randomly pick a bunch of podcasts until you get to the last one and then hit us. Um, and again, that's awards.discoverpods.com slash finalists. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you through the amazing support of Sons of Vancouver Distillery, who provided us with the number 82 Amaretto, Chili Vodka, and Vodka 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 used for today's doppelganger cocktails. Their distillery is located in North Vancouver. Go show them some love if you're nearby. We also used Mad Lab Distilling's amazing orange cranberry kombucha cordial. Spoilers. You made it. You got to the part where you know what was in mine version. Spoilers. Do you want 
my interpretations of this movie? Yes, I do. Do you want my red to your Adelaide? Ha! Huh. Yes, please. It's okay. Mine aren't going to be as, as well informed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so my first point is that you know I'm a huge sucker for cinematography, and I don't know if the director for or the uh, cinematographer, cinematographer, cin- sure, uh, forget out. Okay, <laughs> 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 keep going. <laughs> I don't know if he worked with the same <laughs> cinematographer. Uh, there you go. As Get Out. But uh, there's a lot of really good compositions in this movie. And like you said, it hints to a lot of the later twist of this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of like symmetry and mirroring and, and all that. There's and so many rabbits too. Oh yeah, there like are. everywhere. Everywhere there's rabbits. And, you know, I love s- storytelling through what the camera can see. And I think they do a really good job of that. Um, especially watching through again, knowing the twist, like you can see so many like very deliberate choice, very deliberate blocking and cinematography. And they did a great job of that, except for one of my now biggest pet peeves in movies. Oh, I know what's coming. That I, uh, so at the end of the movie, Adelaide finds Red in the basement and Red gives her like monologue about what was actually happening and they do my least favorite thing, which is they have an extreme close-up of Red superimposed on the screen with Adelaide in the background. And you can see a clear division of blurry lines and like different lighting in the corners and stuff like that. And to me, it just it's such a lazy method of composing a shot. It's very jarring, too, because they don't use that ever. No, it's never It's only never in this used. one moment. Yeah. And, and not, I feel like it's not because of... I think that. it's because it's the same actress. They can't yeah. compose the shot in such a way where both characters on screen because it's the same actress. But Adelaide is lit in such a way that you can barely see her face. So I think they probably could have found like a stand-in and then maybe like digitally imposed the actress's face ah. onto her in such a way that like it doesn't, like it, you don't need to see her face clearly, just enough that it doesn't look jarring. Right. But... I don't like I would love to talk to an actual cinematographer as to why they decide to do stuff like this, because it to me, it it pulls me out of it. Like, I, I love being immersed, uh, immersed, especially in the what the camera can see, because yeah. if I don't notice the camera, that's to me a success. And the moment that I see something like this, it just pulls me out of it. Right. And like it is it's a monologue. So you want to see your character's face. And it's the idea that like she's telling it to this other character. So you want to see her face, too. But I've seen so many ways of doing this composition in an actual practical way that like either does um, like blurring, like it focuses on one character, waits for the reaction of the other one and then focuses on them, like going back and forth. I've seen that, yep. Or just do like a uh, FOV or whatever where you can see both of them in focus. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. There's probably tons of other methods that you could use. And it just, it seems like the laziest, like, cheapest shot in this entire movie that otherwise had great cinematography. Yeah. Blech. That's my That's my rant about one, like, two-minute scene in the movie. Yeah. I feel like this is something that comes up a lot just in whenever we watch films now is, like, as soon as this happens, this specific thing of having the superimposed image, we always end up talking about it because it's so weird. And I... So many different people do it. And I'm like, why do you do it? Is yeah. it I really want to know. I would like, so if anyone out there knows 
or is a cinematographer, like, please let me know. Or even if you've read an article, like direct me towards this one specific style of shot, because it's like, it's so infuriating. Like our other big pet peeve is like bad ADR. Where like you see the side of someone's mouth and they're clearly not saying the words that are coming out or like the ADR has been um, edited in such a way that it doesn't sound like it's in the same space. Mm -hmm. But we don't talk about that as much unless it's like extremely grievous because like we understand that like you take you get multiple shots and if you find the perfect shot, but it doesn't line up with the dialogue, you need to make some changes with the ADR. Yeah. But like this, this is this is such like a on purpose thing that I hate so much. (laughs) <laughs> I feel that. My second point is more positive. That dance fight scene at the end is incredible. And I love it so much every time I see it. Because it's like, at the end, uh, you find out that Adelaide and Red both had a ballerina or a ballet performance at the same time. And somehow that convinced the shadows that Red was like their messiah, basically. Yeah. And so dance became a big part of their conversation at the end where as they're fighting they're sort of like mirroring each other and it really does a good job of like showing Adelaide's shadow form just saying fuck it and coming out and being like super aggressive chip tripping over things not being able to hit red at all and red is like still super composed and clearly understands how this tether works in such a way that it's like she can't hit me I can, I'm just going to dance around this fool and make her look like an idiot. Every time also like just watching Red move at all in the film is done so cool. Yeah. She's such, she glides so well and she like holds herself so still. Mm -hmm. It's like she only moves, she's like scissors, like her feet are the things that snip and like walk. Yeah. And the rest of her is so still, which I think is really cool, especially because she uses scissors scissors in the film. And she has that like, there's that one shot where she's getting her son to go chase after the other son and she like makes that weird like spider crawl sound and like wiggles her fingers which is so creepy which like again it's almost like everything about red is like harsh and sharp and evil except for her movement it's like that's the one thing she can control and and compose like kept from her old life is the fact that she can be very deliberate with her movements yeah whereas like when adelaide when again when the chips are down Adelaide turns into like this feral monster that has to try to like does everything she can to kill Red. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that dance is such like a good ending to it. It's such a good like, I don't know, final confrontation that really shows their true self. I find I couldn't appreciate it. I appreciated it more the second time around. But the first time around, I was so confused by this like massive twist. Oh, yeah. That. Not like her switching actually being the one that was there, but just this like whole like underground lair of yeah. humans. The like government issued doppelgangers to control America. Yeah. I mean, that leads pretty good into my final point, which oh. is don't don't think about it too much. <laughs> That's your final point. <laughs> don't think about it too much because <laughs> I realize that the more you try to think about the plot and the twists in this movie, the more you can easily peel away the facade and realize that there's nothing there. Like, how did all of the shadow clones get the exact same clothing as everybody on the surface? It, when the when it shows the shot, the two shots of, like, Earth Adelaide following her parents in the carnival, yeah. and then Shadow a- Adelaide, her parents were wearing the same clothes. If they were shadow clones that were made by the government, how did they get the same clothing that the real ones were wearing that exact day? And where are all of those clothes stored? Yeah. 
<laughs> no, but they couldn't have known that they were going to wear that exact set that day. And, and it's supposed to take up the whole of America. Yeah. But do you think that this was actually exciting? We know that this was a trial that went wrong. Do you think it was that they only did this town? No, I think they did all of America because you see the news and stuff. And at the very beginning of the movie, we get the the line of text that says there's tunnels yeah. underground, there's mine shafts, there's... Metro. Yeah, unused tunnels, and et cetera. So I think that they, the government either built those to house the shadow experiments or they realized there was a bunch of unused tunnels that they could build the shadow experiment or the tethered experiment. So weird. But yeah, then it's like when the... When the shadows started coming up, did the government immediately know what they were because they knew about the experiments? And that they were, were like, happening? oh, no, how are we going to deal with this? Yeah. And then, like, why? How did the tethered stop needing to copy the movement of everybody? Yeah, I don't know. Also, Adelaide moves really far away from the beach town. Does Red also move very far away from the tunnels underneath the beach town? Or does she just need to mimic walking a little bit? I don't know. Exactly. See, but that's what I mean, though. Is it like, is it all of America in that tunnel? It, but it like it has to be because of the news. This The news said. But the, we don't know where that news was from. Yeah. It could have been from nearby. It was filmed. It was a city shot that we see. And like we get a little bit of a news clipping. So I think it is just like. They're all spread out across America in yeah. tunnels and shit like that. But like, yeah. They're uh, separate tunnels? Then you think or about- Or all connected, literally, tunnels. I don't know. They, yeah. This is, you, we're doing the exact opposite yeah. of what your point was. Don't think about it. How did they get the DNA of every person on earth to, or every person in America to make a copy? Did they need DNAs? Was it some sort of rabbit thing? Why'd they have so many rabbits? What's going on? It doesn't matter. Don't think about it. Enjoy watching the movie. And- which I had another fun fact that didn't make it into the scaredy fact section, which is it's literally impossible to survive if you only eat rabbits. Yeah. And drink water. Yeah. You can't. You will literally die. I mean, there's blood water. There's water and blood. But it's not even like I'm assuming they also have access to water. You yeah. would still die just from rabbits and water. Yeah. Which is clearly it's made very clear that that's the only thing they have. Why did Red not leave? I mean, she was tied. She was, yeah, handcuffed. But then at some point she got out of the handcuffs. Yeah. Why didn't she leave then? Was it too late? Did she forget how to, did she forget who she was? Why does she not teach her family how to speak? Did her hands grow too big and ripped out of the handcuffs? Who's to say? Oof. But yeah, don't think about it. Yeah. That's not really the point of the movie. It's about America sucks and fuck the police. Fuck the police. (laughs) It's time for... Da-da-da. Scaredy facts. <laughs> Woohoo! Are you ready? Uh, you gotta explain the story. I was just asking if you were ready. You gotta explain the story. All right, all right, all right. You gotta so, give your monologue where you're superimposed in a very poor way. Yes. Everyone, this is very dramatic. Kelly and I, after every horror film we watch, go into our bed and or on the couch, and we whip out our phones. And we read to each other. We whip out our dicks. Yeah, I was gonna say you're using a lot of you're using a very sexual tone with <laughs> many erotic words. We just no. shoot hot trivia all over each other. We do. <laughs> and then when Char is satisfied with the trivia, I fall asleep. 
But we've decided to bring that into our podcast with our scaredy facts section. So whoever knows the most about the film's subject matter, whatever, we're kind of arbitrary with it. Uh, One of us will do some scaredy facts and the other will be with you, the listener, unaware of these cool, cool trivias. Are you ready? I am actually ready. (laughs) So we start off with the money. This film had a budget of $20 million US. Opening weekend. Guess how much it made. $10. You were right, but it also made more. It made $71 million. Wow. $71,117,625 to be exact. Just in its opening weekend? Yes. Wow. Which, this is why I specifically included it, is the highest ever for an original horror film and the second highest for an original live action after Avatar. Wow. Go us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, in the United States alone, its gross was 175 million, and worldwide it was 255.1 million. Jesus, which is crazy. So, suffice to say, Jordan Peele will be allowed to make more movies after this. Yeah. All right. So, jumping into Jordan Peele, actually, number one, he gave the cast 11 horror films to watch so they would have a shared language when filming. Oh, that's cool. So, I have them all here. Do you want to know what they are? I'm going to guess one of them was The Shining. Yes. Okay. The others were... Oh, do you want to guess something else? Uh, Lord of the Rings. No. <laughs> I'm not going to guess anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we have Jaws, Dead Again, The Shining, The Babadook. Oh. It follows... Oh, that makes sense. A Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds, Funny Games, Martyrs, let the Right One In, and The Sixth Sense. Nice. Yeah. It's a good list of movies. It is. That's like a whole season right there. Yeah. Do you think they did podcasts about each one? Maybe. Oh, for that that shared language yeah. of podcasting. <laughs> Heck yeah. Next, the words, I don't know if you saw this, the words Get Out, which is obviously the title of Jordan Peele's previous film, can be seen carved into the sides of the entrance of the Hall of Mirrors. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I remember that trivia fact from when we first watched this movie. I might act, a lot of these might just trigger me remembering reading them a while ago, but yeah. that's pretty cool. I wonder if uh, if we'll see another movie that just has us written on it. <laughs> Probably, if he makes another one. Uh, next one. Like the Lost Boys from 1987, several key scenes take place on the Santa Cruz Beach boardwalk. This is even referenced in universe when Adelaide's mother says, you know, they're shooting a movie over there by the carousel. Oh, cool. She's talking about that movie which is super cool. And when you actually see them filming at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, the rides were actually filled with dummies and then they like superimposed people on them. That's awesome. Which I kind of can see why I would feel like it would be too much of a hassle to have actual extras in those. And like maybe people would get sick or whatever. But imagine being a background performer for that film and getting to do that. That would have been so cool. Imagine have because... If they had to probably do a lot of takes, imagine being on the spinny ride for probably about two or three hours. Woo! I would die. That would be that would be a good way to kill me because it would be very effective and messy. I would love it. <laughs> but that's cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Also, you don't have to pay background then. You just have dummies. They but should then do they that had for to every CG movie. Them. Still, so it's like I wonder. I mean, obviously they did it for 
Well, yeah, because that's what I'm talking about. Is it because it was cheaper to do it with CG or is it literally because it would have been so much of a hassle to think about like getting the rides in place and like I'm going to guess it was a humane issue is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I would have wanted to do it. Uh, next one. There's a director cameo. Jordan Peele's voice uh, is the narrator for the Funhouse. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I was trying to think. I'm like, I don't remember seeing him at all. Yeah. But uh, that makes sense. That's pretty <laughs> cool. I also, I like the second time she goes into the um, mirror, the Hall of Mirrors. Yeah. The like owl pops out and she immediately hits it. Yep. Which, now that I think about it, doesn't make sense because Adelaide didn't go into the Hall of Mirrors the first time. To get scared by it. Yeah. There is actually some meaning for of owls in uh, indigenous culture. So go read that article. Oh. She talks about that moment. Uh, next one. This is all about the 1111 symbolism that mm. is in this film. In addition to Jeremiah 1111 being seen written on a sign twice, the numbers 1111 appear frequently throughout this film, which well, we definitely noticed. Uh, we noticed quite a few of them. Yeah. I don't know if we saw all, all of them, though. I th- I'm not sure if this is a complete list, but it's a very long one. So when Gabe is watching a baseball game on TV, the announcer says that the game is tied 11-11. Ooh. When Adelaide and Jason are talking in his room, the digital clock reads 11-11 p.m., a uh, carnival worker in 1986 and one of the twins in the present day both wear a T-shirt for the band Black Flag, which the logo consists of four vertical black bars that resemble the number 11-11. Wow. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the movie, when the ambulance is driving down the windy, w- windy, the windy the back windy road, road, the windy back road, the camera pans out and shows the ambulance number. Wow, that was a weird way to say that. The ambulance number eleven eleven on top of it. It also says two on the back, which yeah. I was like, "That's like for, that's not there's 11. two of us." <laughs> When the Wilson family visits the beach, they are shown in a bird's eye view shot walking across the sand with long shadows that resemble the number 1111. And that's all I got of the the 1111. Yeah. If you caught any more, please let us know. Mm. We can write to us on Twitter. If you look at two people standing next to each other, their legs kind of look like 1111. That happens so many times. If you see a chair from a certain angle, the legs will also line up to look like 11-11. Whoa! The french fries that they were eating could have been four in a row to look like 11-11. Whoa! The dock had pillars. All right, that's (laughs) And my final scary fact. Are you ready? Yes. This is very funny. Okay. Jordan Peele finds rabbits frightening. Rabbits are cute and lovable. This is a quote. Rabbits are cute and lovable and fluffy. And yet, if you really get up close and look at their eyes, it's like Jaws. <laughs> if you'd put a rabbit brain in a human body, you would have Michael Myers. They do not have any sympathy, empathy. They would rip your head off if they could. They scare me. That's entirely true. <laughs> if you put two rabbits alone, one of them will kill the other one. Or they'll bang. Yeah, and then they'll kill the children. So sad. Like, there's people that, like, have rabbits in a barn or something like that at farms yeah. and stuff like that. And they when they scream, they sound like human screaming. It's terrifying. And then you just walk in, and they're all covered in blood because they killed something or someone in there. Yeah. There's also an interview I saw that he likes to think of this as an Easter horror film. Nice. Because, you know, there are, like, Christmas horror movies, which we're going to dive into in this season. There's obviously lots of Halloween horror films. So I can't think of any. This is one of the any. first... 
<laughs> One of the first Easter ones, though. So we should have saved this for Easter, is what you're saying. It is, but it's too late. It's too late. Far too late. Um, I know another like little tid- tidbit, I <gasps> guess. It's not really a trivia fact, but the when they show the stickers of the family on the back of their car at the beginning of the movie, yep. it's the same order that the shadows show up at uh, in their driveway. Whoa! Yeah. That's a little, little fun fact. Little nugget. Yeah, because I thought maybe every time that the family was like walking together, maybe they would show up in the same order. But uh, when they were on the beach, they weren't in that order. So, oh, that was not real. I think we're ready for uh, final thoughts. I also am ready for final thoughts. All right, take Us it away. Us are ready. My final thought is that I don't remember where I heard this, but I read somewhere that apparently Jordan Peele wants to make a trilogy of horror movies that aren't the same characters, but are within the same universe. So, so like Get Out yeah, so and this one. Get Out and Us are supposed to be in the same universe, and apparently he has a third one coming. I looked it up, and he hasn't announced anything yet, but apparently this whole his whole thing is supposed to be take place in the same universe. Cool! So I'm very excited for whatever he does next, because both Get Out and Us have been great additions to the horror genre. Hell yeah! Um, and uh, Jordan Peele... Clearly very successful with his over $200 million get with this movie. So, I mean, it seems like he's right on track to do a third one. Yeah. I did find in an interview that he has he doesn't have any intentions to leave the horror genre for a while, actually. so Good. Even if it's not a trilogy, maybe he'll do something else spooky. I did see that like he was unhappy with how Get Out was kind of mis... Not misconstrued, but there was like a genre... Disparity, like a genre unclarity. Mm. What's unclarity? What's a word that Un- actually means that? Uh, blind. People were just mixed up about what if it was a true horror or if it was meant to be something else. So he like really let loose with this one. Good. In the interviews, he said that. Maybe a bunch of people were like, white people aren't scary. This isn't a horror movie. <laughs> I don't get it. Why are you scared of the white people? Oh, I'm scared of white people. <laughs> My final thought is that I really liked watching this film for the second time. Because the first time I watched it, I was honestly really, really scared by the home invasion aspect. Which, oh, yeah. I mean, is no surprise. I'm always terrified of that kind of stuff. But then it, that how scared and elevated I was made the the twist and like the, it's kind of a zombie slash clone invasion thing that started to happen made me feel a bit disappointed. Mm. Whereas watching it for the second time and like knowing where it's going and everything, I actually enjoyed a lot more and I got to really take in the, and appreciate this overall story. Good. Yeah. You tend to have that problem with a lot of horror movies that are presented as like, home like human stuff like you hated the end of until dawn because it turned out that it yes! was, wasn't humans it was wendigo and you're Ugh. like oh garbage come on yeah that sucked <laughs> so it's good that you get to enjoy this one again knowing like preparing yourself for that twist yeah of invasion of the body snatchers well that's been us a movie about drinking cocktails and talking about horror movies what because it's us this podcast Oh my god. About drinking cocktails. Get out! <laughs> hey! <laughs> Got her. <laughs> Next week, we'll be watching The Blair Witch Project from 1999. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah! Bye!